Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand and the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. Welcome back to the Configure It Done podcast. I just want to say a massive thank you to all the listeners um, of the Configure It Done podcast. We're getting some fantastic feedback and please keep it coming as well. Whether it's good feedback, bad feedback, we are all ears. So please do let us know. Please also like, share and subscribe across uh, YouTube, Castos, uh, Apple Music and Spotify as well. Now, in today's podcast, we're very lucky to have a 30-year experienced program director. Uh, he's managed multiple transformations, many ERP implementations, and he's going to be focused on one specific area, and that specific area is project governance. Why these major programs go wrong, um, and also how to improve project governance as well. So please listen to the podcast, and like I said, give us your feedback. This is Chris Gebby. Welcome, Season 7, Episode 2 of the Configure It Done podcast, and my colleague Bethany. Bethany is back, and you've brought along a great guest. I have. So Chris Gebby is an amazing program director um, based here in, in Melbourne. So he's got 30 years of experience doing ERP transformation programs. Um, he's someone that we've placed before and known for years, and he's brilliant at what he does. I feel like the uh, the odd one out today, you're both being in Melbourne and I'm in Sydney. But uh, lo- lovely to have you, Chris. House feels me, just... me off on my own in Melbourne. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Bethany, for the, the introduction. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and Chris is going to be discussing uh, project governance with us today, which is really exciting because this is one of every other podcast that we've done, I have a good amount of background in, but with project governance, I am just ready to learn from you because you're brilliant at it. So um, on that note, um, so this is something that you've been doing, like I said, over your last 30 years of uh, of working with ERP and primarily SAP programs. So one thing we wanted to ask you about is after your experience with all these different projects, what are some of the keys for successful implementation and avoiding those kind of poorly quoted um, or, or, or rather poorly done projects that we see sometimes mm-hmm. in SAP? Yeah, look, I think there's some, there's a lot of well-known factors. Um, basically, I think you know the and and I listened to some of the previous podcasts on here, which are, which have been fantastic. I've actually really enjoyed sort of going through them and different perspectives. But a lot of them have talked about the same things, you know, the and and consistent and they're really important. Change management, um, you know, scope management, you know, the attention to data quality is really critical, and and how you know and how you know poor quality and the impacts of that. Uh, but certainly project management disciplines, I, I think people sort of touch on that, but that's actually really essential as well. Um, but I want to focus, and when we we're talking about this, I really want to focus on project governance because I think it's an area that really hasn't been addressed enough. And I mm-hmm. and I still think there's an issue, you know, and I think that, um, you know, when I think about, uh, when I talk to people and I've gone into a lot of reviews, when I've talked to executives and so forth, um, there's still a certain immaturity. There's certainly, you know, a, a lack of knowledge about these projects. You know, after all these years, like 
as I said, 30 years, I started in the early 90s. And there was an excuse because it was all new. No one really knew anything back then. But 30 years experience, it should be a better level of knowledge, I think. And so I think there's an issue with governance that I think we need to address. Sure, sure. So so what would be your specific experience around uh, project governance then, um, Chris? I know you've done multiple ERP implementations and other other projects, but yeah, what would be your your specific experience? Look, I think as look, everyone would say it's very mixed, uh, really, at this stage. And, and that's not to say that all projects are bad. And and I see a lot of these articles about you know thirty five percent of projects fail. I don't I don't buy into that. I don't think it's like that. I think that there. I think you know it's, there are a lot of really good projects out there. They're actually you know really deliver. But there's a certain persistency about some poorly governed projects that fail to deliver as expected. You know, they mightn't completely fail, but they don't. They go in and they're they're really underwhelming. You know, and companies are really uh, you know frustrated then with a whole lot of stabilisation to stabilise them. I, I got uh, an interest in this area. There was a project back in 2004. It was around the customs project. That, don't know if you remember it, but basically they, this thing had started in the late 90s. They wanted to build the project. It was for all the incoming and outcoming freight. Uh, it went in. It was so bad that the ships couldn't get into the docks. And the reason they couldn't get in because the ships in the docks couldn't get the, the, the freight off them. And the system actually brought everything to a standstill. It was appalling. Um, mm-hmm. It had a budget originally of $30 million. It, the, the final amount after an audit was 213 million. Wow. So seven times the original <laughs> number. And the minister got, and the, the point about governance is the minister was asked in charge of this, this area of customs, was asked by the press. So what happened? And he said, well, it's an IT project. What do you expect? And the press said, yeah, what do you expect? Wow. And I can still remember having my breakfast, almost choking on reading that and thinking, how do they get away with these sort of answers? And so, it, one of the and you know you think about one of the biggest complaints about executives make about projects and as I said I've done reviews you know they complain about you know projects and going wrong and they said why do I find out now so so executives expect to have problems what they get frustrated with is it takes so long to find out and of course as we all know the low, longer it takes to find out something the harder it is and the more expensive it is to fix so that you know if you wait six months on a problem, your only choices are bad and really bad. And and this is where they get frustrated. So I think there's a there's a governance. So and the other thing is I've found with um, governance and um, I suppose focused on steering committees is that the people on them are typically executives, but they and they're actually quite successful. So they're successful, they're smart at what they do. But if I think back to a lot of the executive uh, steering committees, half the people on these steering committees without being um sort of to sort of put it out there, half of them don't really make a contribution that I would expect for someone at that level. It's the best way. And I've checked that with a lot of other project directors and they say that's true. There's a lot of people on steering committees in senior levels who come on and I think it's just they don't know. They really don't actually understand uh, what's actually required here. So if they're not, which means they're not engaged, and the problem with that is they're not engaged, then they're not fully involved. And they are the key people, typically, if the executive, who need to be involved in change management and business readiness. So if they're not engaged, that means it's going to have an impact on their, you know, their work around business readiness and change management, and that's going to impact on the actual project. And, and I think if I look at steering committees and I look at another area of governance, which is um, board of directors, 
and they actually play a very similar role. When I looked at the Australian uh, incident, no, ASIC have a, a list of sort of the responsibilities of directors. I looked at that. If you took out the word entity and put in project, took out CEO and put in project manager, and you took out the director and you put in the steering committee, you know, members, most of those responsibilities are almost identical. And I think I think about that is that the steering committee should be at that sort of level that company directors are at. That's really interesting. That actually brings me to my next question then, which is I, I want to see your thoughts on how we actually improve this, but how would you define project governance? Because if there's steering committees that likely don't even fully understand mm. what it is, what would be like a simple definition of project governance? I think that, that so the governance is, is similar like a director's. You're not there to second guess the project. You're not there to actually take over. You know, with directors don't take over the operation, but but yeah. they're there to actually to provide some critical you know insights and thoughts, and actually to ask the right sort of questions about how the, how is the company performing. The steering committee needs to be doing the same thing. It needs to be asking those incisive questions. Mm. Is truly understanding how the actual project's going. Um, and, and I think to do that, they need a certain level of education. You know, I actually, I was a director on my, my daughter's school that since left school, but I, I was actually chairman of the board there for about five years. And I joined the AICD, so Australian Institute of Company Directors, and um, they have an amazing amount of education to really lift the quality of the, the directors. There's nothing out there for steering committees. So people come on to this saying, well, I've got to govern, but don't truly understand you know, what they need to, you know, what are the sort of questions I need to ask uh, at this mm -hmm. stage? And, and I don't think the education is to make them a project manager. So it's not to make you a project manager and then start second guessing. It's more, it's to give them some insights into sort of key areas for them to actually start to think about the sort of questions they actually need to ask. So, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, go on. I was, I was going to say, though, just just on that, how, how do you see uh, this space improving? How do you see project governance improving? Um, I think there needs to be a lot more thought. I think there's a lot more education, you know, required. I, I think, you know, I've, I started to do it on a few projects where I started to have some conversations with some of the steering committee members uh, and starting to bring them up to speed about some of the things around projects and what they need to be actually looking for. Um, so a couple of things, maybe I'll just run through a few and, and, and it stopped me, you know, because there some key areas I want to cover, but um, there's one around the fear factor. So there's a lot of senior execs don't like these projects because of their bad reputation. They you know the big ERP projects. So I had a CEO years ago who complained bitterly about the project. So he was a subsidiary, Australian subsidiary to an overseas company. And he said, why did it have to happen on my watch? I hated this. I, I was trying to avoid it, and now I'm stuck with it. And, it's understandable. And it, yes. it is, yeah, because of the things. So, but th that's like the perfect storm. I don't know if you remember the film, the perfect storm. So there was a film about it. Three storm, you know, a major storm, you know, patterns all merged into one off the east coast of Canada, and actually killed um, a, a number of people as a result. But the thing about that, it's like critical accidents at work. They happen because many things go wrong. Not one thing goes wrong. So sure. if you get, so if all the key aspects around a project, the key items, scope, change, you know, data, change management, all if you get, if you fundamentally get most of those right, one of them might go wrong. And look, no project's perfect, and none of mine are being perfect. There's always something that doesn't go go quite right. But if only one goes wrong, you're not going to have a major accident. You're not going to have a major failure. 
So if you can focus on one of the key and understand what they are and what's important about them, yes, you might get one or two wrong, but it's not going to cause a major accident. So that's the first thing is stop, you know, uh, look at this in fear. One is being avoidant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the other key things around, you know, governance, and, and when I should say governance, there's the steering committee, but there's also process governance, data governance. So there's a number of different factors. I'm, I'm honing in on steering committee because it is such a key one really around the governance. And, and I think about change. So the, the thing around change management these days is a big push around it's leader-led change. So it's got to be led. Change is about leadership. So you, the leaders have to lead the change. So they have to actually communicate, you know, and that doesn't mean that the projects doesn't have to do anything in that. It means the project has to provide all that material and the content and everything, talk to the leaders who then go out and actually talk to their, you know, their part of the organisation and talk about what the change is and why it's actually important and actually visibly support support the actual change. So and, that's and, a- and that's why addressing the fear factor is kind of step one, because you can't lead from the front or lead from the top if everybody's avoiding Yes, it's a big, scary ERP project in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So you're trying to get them to a level that sort of you know, reasonably comfortable where they can, and, and they actually embrace the idea and the opportunities that the actual project, you know, provides at that stage. Um, the other thing is around, which touches on communications and about how important it is around communications. And and there used to be when we first started these projects, there was the the Machiavelli quote that was that was actually you know, mentioned, you know, so often within you know, the projects. And and I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but Machiavelli, who well known as go back uh, back to Renaissance, but he said that there's nothing more difficult than trying to implement change. And he said because for the people who gain by the change, they're lukewarm in support, but the people who, um, who are actually going to lose by the change are extremely vocal and will fight to avoid it and will fight to actually defeat it at this stage. And I think that the way you you address some of that concern is is communication. You've got to not not withdraw. It's in fact to try and embrace that is to get out there and actually communicate. And and people will come from you know in terms of a project and the changes it's going to bring. It could be a whole number of things. It may impact somebody. It may not. It may impact the area. But I think the more you communicate about what the real change is, so what are the facts about the change, it is actually fundamental. You know, and then you have a chance to really bring people along, as they say, on the overall journal journey. Um, the other thing around project success is there's such a focus on um, time and cost, but that's what I call like this an efficiency aspect to a project. So, and that's really the time and cost. You don't want that to blow out, but also there's another aspect that they need to consider about what's the effectiveness of it, which is, am I going to get the benefits of this? You know, what are the KPIs going to look like after I go live? Are they going to be at a minimum, what I get now, ideally, they should be improved and where are they going to be improved? And that's what they need to be thinking. They need to be coming back, circling back the project team. Explain to me how the benefits or the KPIs, given the solution you've actually said you've designed, is actually going to deliver those benefits. Tell me, talk me through how that actually looks uh, and hold them accountable uh, as well. Yes, the time and the cost is always going to. So, so I think that's important. Talk around status reporting. So it's interesting on status reporting, it's really, there's a lack of, often a lack of consistency in the reporting. Mm. Um, So you think about what goes to the board of directors, I guarantee you those reports look the same, you know, board meeting after board meeting after board meeting, you know, it's a month after month, they can look, they can line them up and actually they can see the trend. On a lot of projects that I've gone and done the reviews, 
the reports change every steering committee and it's all different. Why and, do you think that is? Um, because it's then hard to see a trend. It's hard to actually pick up what happens. So, you know, it, you know, something might look okay using one type of report and then the next time there's a different type of report to try and, you know, put it in the best possible light. It's hard to compare. So you can't see the, the actual, you know, the change. You can't see the trend at the stage. And, and the other thing is just the sheer volume. So I previously did a review of a project lessons alert. They were delivering steering committee packs of 100 slides. So over a hundred slides, and they would Which dump would lose that. everybody's attention. There's no yeah. way to pay attention. So it, it would it, it was dumped on the executives in the morning. Of the meeting was in the afternoon. So I don't know what your experience of executives is, but the diary tends to be pretty full. Mm. So, what an executive summary is for as well. Like we need. That's to... right. <laughs> How much time are they going to have to go through a hundred slides? You know, and and even if there's a few, I mean, it, it's it's just pointless. Um, and I think back, I keep coming back to directors, but there was a famous case years ago called the Centro case. Uh, and, it, and it was essentially where finance company, they had, um, there were financial statements that were incorrect and the directors didn't pick it up. And ATSIC actually took them to court and sued them because it was in 2007 and in 2008, the GFC hit and it caused some extreme difficulty for the actual company. And uh, and people got caught out. They invested in the company and got caught out because the, the statements were wrong. And they sued. And the judge said his expectation of directors is they have a certain amount of financial literacy if they're on the board. And they should have that. And they ultimately are the per people responsible. They can't rely on the auditors. They're the ones who are actually responsible. Uh, and I think there was, a, there was an article by the head of ATSIC, the original chairman of ATSIC, who wrote an article, he said, and one of the things that really struck me, he said, at the end of the day, the directors have the ability to ask for the information they need to do their job. And it's the same on the steering committee. If they don't understand, and I think a lot of them don't understand, if they don't understand, they should be saying, I don't understand this, Chris. You're going to have to either give me some more information or put it in format. I understand. I have a right as, on the governance committee to, to be given information that helps me form an opinion. And I think that that's, and, and again, I want to come back you know, that's again, talk to steering committee. You should be asking, if you don't understand, you should ask for it. But I think there's a certain um, reluctance, you know, like they don't want to be seen as they don't really know, you know, that much uh, at this stage. And IT is a classic for using terms and language that disenfranchises people from outside IT. You know, people have no idea. I, I talked to my wife about my job and she says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, go best, nod and listen and be supportive. That's right, Jess. That's the best thing, funny. the only thing she really knows about is go live dates, and that's about it. <laughs> and and then and then she knows that when you come home, it's either going to be like everything's fantastic, or you're really stressed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so look, there are, are lots of other things I could go through, but uh, but if you get the idea, there are there are you know there's probably about twenty different items. You know, sort of take them through. You know, and trying to explain about the sort of questions they should be asking. Um, you know, in these sort of meetings, and um, you know, they have a lot more power than they actually think they do. So, what I'm what I'm hearing as an overall theme here is there is a sense of avoidance because sometimes things are either too complicated or there's just fear that they will be. Um, and then there's it also seems like there's an avoidance not just because of fear, but because the basics aren't maybe being covered because they're like they're they're boring, they're not as sexy to do. Yeah. Um, and the basics when they're missed is what causes projects to 
to go, like you said, from what was it, 25, 30 million to 230 million. And it's just yeah. like fear and, and basics. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, no one asked the right questions. And, and on that customs project, there were some well-known IT companies involved in that project. Hard to believe they didn't understand what was going on. And no one raised the question. So mm. that, that does. Yeah, but uh, look, there are lots of things. Mm. So what, I'm, what I'm keen to learn, Chris, obviously you've gone through multiple multiple improvements there. Um, like, how would that affect the the people side, uh, or the cubicle capital side of the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, 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 that's a good, actually, really good point. I, I think the the thing I start with uh, on on any project is culture, um, and so I think about you know the number of different entities. I say the number of different entities involved in a project. So you know you've got an S. It used to be just one SI partner. Now you might have multiple SI partners. Yeah. One of them might be based, you know, overseas, largely the team is based overseas. So you've got, you know, different countries, different companies, all with their own culture, maybe some independent contractors, maybe business people who haven't worked on projects, you know, yeah. and even on really large organizations, you can have cultures within, you know, companies themselves. So you bring them all together. Yeah. You've got to try and break, create that one culture. There was on the previous podcast from SA Power Networks, it was terrific. He talked about that you know, the need to set up a one-team culture. And that's actually really important. That's where I think the steering committee should be asking those sort of questions about what it, what is the culture? How is the team jelly? What you yeah. put all these people together, which is not natural, and they're under a time pressure even more, which is not natural. So how are they actually jelling the sort of things they should be asking? Sure. You, you think about the, the project manager, I guarantee you the, a, a new CEO wouldn't be appointed without being interviewed by at least the chairman of the board and also, you know, some of the directors that they would want to know who it is. I, I think about some cases I've been interviewed by the um, project sponsor, mostly not. Mm -hmm. And certainly nobody else who's, you know, no other executive at this stage, maybe the CIO uh, yeah. have been actually interviewed. That's a actually, surprise, huh? There needs to be people on this governance. They need to be actually talking, will this person fit this company? Will it fit this culture? And if it's not, then that's potentially a bit of a problem. They And they're probably good at sizing up people, you know, and trying to assess them and so forth, you know, rather just that, because I think if it's just the IT, they'll just assess someone from an IT background. I mm. think you talk about, you know, change and, you know, being important and so forth. The, the steering committee brings a different perspective, which is really critical. Um, it's really then, interesting because we've had, we've had roles where it's like you've got, two rounds of psychometric testing and all these technical questions and everything else. And it really misses the point. And, oh, and it doesn't actually do its due diligence because it's like all of that, like whether you can answer textbook questions about SAP or anything else, all of that is completely irrelevant. What really matters is what's the reputation on the project? How do you actually handle the human side of things? Because it's human beings, technology effects in the first place. People made projects, yeah. yeah. Wrong, wrong due diligence. <laughs> we need the right kind. Just a project sponsor believe they can work with the project director or manager that's being brought onto the project. Are they comfortable working with that person? Because they're not comfortable, then that's an issue. That's an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, the other thing is around due diligence of selected project resources. And this is an area you, you'd appreciate. So I had this idea is you need to understand the scope of the project in, in the terms of what's not old technology, what's technology that's been around for a while. And I'd ask you that S, the basic S4 finance has been around for some time now. And then yeah. what's some of the newer technology that's really coming out? Like, you know, we're talking about when we're going live, we're going with some new version of something, like very different version. On the one that technology has been around for a while, you can pretty much get commodity resources. There's quite a few around, you know, there's, there's options. When you go to the new technology, 
you're looking at really specialized resources, very small pool. You want to make sure you get the best. Okay. So I have this simple theory around new technology. If you get specialized resources, in other words, what they're doing on new tech, you get in, you get in a leading edge technology. But if you get poor, and I've seen this, if you get poor resources, you're looking at bleeding edge. It's going to cost you a lot. And I think that's where, again, the steering committee can understand is, so this technology, like what's it, what's it like in terms of trying to find resources? And yeah, it looks shiny, but is, are there plenty of resources? Because there are not resources around. You're potentially on a hiding to nothing. You're going to, you know, and it's going to hurt. So, and it's those sort of questions, obvious questions that I need to ask. Um, and then the final one really is around um, business resources. So investing bits, so business resources work on the project full time. The steering committee needs to take responsibility to work out what happens to them at the end of the project. And I can tell you those resources as the project's getting towards the end are thinking about, well, where do I go? Where do I fit in? Because someone's replaced me probably, um, that, look, it might have been a backfill. And do I even want to go back into that role? And, and then all just, the IP just walks out the door as soon as the project finishes. And they are—they have so much knowledge, you know, um, that, that is just so important to actually utilize. They are gold, those people. So you want to actually, how do I get, I've actually invested in an asset. You know, I've essentially developed this really good asset. How do I get the value out of that person, you know, when the system goes, I don't want to lose that. Because, because as you know, when you go live, it's not like an endpoint. It's the start of then a journey where you want to continuously improve. And these people are ideal to help drive that continuous improvement. Mm. And again, I think that's where the steering committee really, I think, wants to, you know, to get involved and try and understand what's going on. It's a really good point. That's really interesting. Mm. Love that. I'm going to think of um, some questions for clients in future, actually, and how can we retain the business side? Because that's the first thing we get is as soon as a project's wrapping up, we get calls saying, okay, I want something else now. There was a there was a podcast. I don't know if it was the last one, but it might have been the one before that. And they were talking about this idea of you know technical resources that really understood the business business side of it as well, and how valuable they are, uh, how valuable they are. And I think that's that's a real key as well. Is that you know, and it, they're the sort of resources that are worth their weight, worth their weight in gold. Um, yeah. That that IQ piece where you, you hit the nail on the head where there's a massive investment in that person it, it's quite a quite a controversial topic in the recruitment world with um, attempt to pump and a lot of companies at the end of the end of a program they want to convert contractors to to permanent which is which is fine but um, a, a company almost feels that they they're not obliged to pay a fee for for that it's a very controversial topic yeah, and um, it is it's it's almost like the analogy we use is like um it's like renting renting a house and then when you come to buy it you don't get a, a discount but yeah. what won't won't go in won't go the into house that has bit. increased in value and yeah <laughs> it's the same true. thing it's yeah. like do you want that contractor to stay there with all of that knowledge or do you want them to walk out the door because that's going to yeah. cost you more like this is an investment for future and, and those and those resources are so essential to change management so, you know, you can send out, and I've seen this time and time again, you can send out consultants who understand the system extremely well, go out and talk to, you know, the users and so forth, how it works, uh, and most of them say, who is this person? I don't know that. And you can send out one of these business representatives who have spent, you know, the time on the project and understand it, you know, the context of, you know, the process in SAP, how it works, can go out and it's, and they might know half of what a consultant knows but they can actually talk to people that, and, and they have, you know, it's that old story about they've got street cred. They can actually yeah. engage, you know, and they can really help get people across the line and get them actually understanding what the value of the system is 
in the context of the you know the company's processes. Definitely. Chris, that was um, that was fantastic. So many so many good points there around uh, the improvement piece, um, and uh, yeah, around project governance. That was brilliant. Um, what I'd love to know, and we ask this question at the end of every every podcast, is um, who would you like to listen to uh, on a future podcast? Yeah, so I, I noticed this on previous podcasts. So a couple. So I'll rather than one, I'll actually give a couple. One is um, a project sponsor, uh, and I know I've dealt with a few over the years. Um, I'd like to know what they knew before a project and what they learned from a project and always what did they wish they'd have known at the start of a project? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think there's there's some real insights in there they can give us. And then also probably want to hear from SAP. So, and I think this was mentioned previously, what's some of the innovation around the delivery of these projects? So I think I know SAP is really conscious about that. You know, what insights can they provide, you know, around um, best practices of implementing SAP solutions? And maybe what's some of the technology that's available and people don't know or aren't really using and and there's you know there's some real value in actually understanding a bit more about some of the technology they provide to support these implementations i think that'd be uh, that'd be gold i think for, for a lot of people well you're going to be very happy chris um especially the latter there we've we've got um a number of guests from sap that are going to come on as well and um uh, next week, um, we've got uh, the head of Sorg, Sorg Summit coming on as well, and they, they're they representing 70 CIOs, so there's some pretty hot topics on there as well. So, yeah, you'll be pretty pleased. Excellent. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll listen to that one. Excellent. All right, Chris and Bethany, thank you very much for, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we'll speak soon. No worries. Thanks, buddy. Thank you.